0: Welcome to Clinically Thinking, I'm Dr Nina Cook. The Australian Psychological Society's acceptance of human-induced climate change and advocacy for meaningful climate change action is now well-established. Many Australian psychologists have worked tirelessly for greater awareness of climate science and to highlight the inevitable impact on people's psychological well-being as its grim predictions are played out in real time. As a clinical psychologist, my work is with individuals, And as such, I tend to see this impact on an individual basis. I became interested in how anxiety about climate change was affecting younger people across the country and what clinical psychology could offer these young people in the therapy room. This brought me back to Associate Professor Paul Rhodes from the University of Sydney, with whom I have spoken on a previous episode. As it happened, Paul was involved with some research looking at this very issue. In this episode, I speak both with Paul and with 17-year-old Maya, a young activist involved in the research on climate anxiety that Paul will describe. As you know if you've listened in before, this is a podcast for clinical psychologists. As such, I have made an effort to focus these conversations on the role of the clinician. However, as we explore, the idea of clinical intervention becomes problematic when the anxiety in question relates to a real danger threatening us all. Even if this episode is a little out of your comfort zone, I encourage you to listen with an open mind. I'm sure you'll hear something that will help you, your clients, and the planet. Paul, welcome again to Clinically Thinking. It's great to have you back.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: I wondered if you might tell me about the research research Uh, that you're both involved in?
1: Um, Yeah, so I'm um, a collaborative research fellow at the Sydney Environment Institute with um, a historian, a historian of of eco-psychology called um, Jamie Dunk. And together we are um, doing a participatory action research project with young people. Actually, young people approached us to do the project on the Youth Advisory Committee of Headspace, saying to us that they were frustrated because clinicians did not ask about or know how to respond to um, climate distress in the young people they were seeing. and So the the committee actually approached us to say, can you help us do something? So they're leading the ideas and um, we're working with them, a team of about seven Mm -hmm. young people, on developing uh, guidelines and, and a form of intervention, which I'll tell you about later, for climate distress amongst young people um, in headspace so yeah it's it 's pretty it 's wonderful to have this kind of intergenerational dialogue or even intergenerational reconciliation i think is probably a valid term given um, what 's happening to young people the, there's the, there 's twelve focus groups the first for four we we enter into open dialogue with the young people around. Our mutual experience of climate distress uh, and and a climate Earth emotions we call them because it's not just distress. There's also hope and uh, uh, joy of nature, and and then there's dread and despair and anxiety also. Um, and then for we so we're trying to understand those that affect for four meetings, and then for the next four meetings, those young people can interview any academic at Sydney Uni basically. So that we gave them a pool of 50, and they chose, they've chosen six academics to join with, to collaborate with in the development of these guidelines. And, and it's very interesting. They've chosen very strong on Indigenous academics. They've not only chose psychologists, in fact, no psychologists. <laughs> um, they've chosen artists, Aboriginal thinkers, uh, climate, climate people, people in planetary health, um, to try and understand. So these young people are already interdisciplinary uh, in their approach, they don't want to have this kind of linear, reductionistic, individualistic approach. So, they're pretty fascinating. They're, it's quite interesting. T- they know m- everything that we know, even though we're publishing and writing, and probably more. So, for example, they understand the links between climate distress and colonization. They have mm-hmm. that. They they get it. Um, you know, they they it's totally developed in their thinking. Um, they understand that it's not, you know, that climate, that despair and apocalyptic thinking isn't the answer and denialism isn't the answer, you know. But there has to be a way to build hope and action. So, you know, they're they're a pretty remarkable kind of group of young people. Um, And, um, yeah, so we're we're at the sixth interview, so we've done two of the academic interviews. And then the, the, the remaining four of the 12 will be working with clinicians, um, but we're, it's already emerging what form the intervention will take, and it's really going to be using open dialogue from Scandinavia, which is a form of family therapy, and adapting it to climate anxiety. And so that when young people um, say to a clinician, you know, I'm feeling really terrible about the climate, they can then join these open dialogue youth-led uh Uh, groups uh, that actually are probably going to end up being run in Relationships Australia. Um, So we're we're looking at an ARC grant with Relationships Australia, Sydney Environment Institute, our young people and Psychologists for a Safe Climate in Melbourne. So the four are are going to be developing a kind of community-based form of dialogue for climate anxiety. Um, so that seems to be actually, you know, what we're doing in the research paradoxically seems to be what will end up being the intervention. <laughs> so it's quite interesting that the research method is becoming the intervention itself. Uh, you know, it's a it's an unexpected finding, if you, if you like. <laughs> so yeah, what's and, it but like... there will be indigenous oh, representation in that dialogue. It's very important for the young people that that you know that that's that's a primary. So yeah i think i've described it okay there (laughs)
0: absolutely what's it like being the lone clinical psychologist in this field of
1: um it's interesting i'm not the lone i mean i i'm learning about the long tradition of of psychologists engaging in climate work the long tradition of the field of eco-psychology it goes back to gregory Bateson. Uh, who you know? Who proposed that the mind and the mind is beyond the skin, and you know it's actually connected to the ecology. You know, I mean that's his primary kind of message. And then it goes through to Rotsack in, in, in the early '80s and uh, deep ecology, and and then the feminist uh, uh, posthuman posthumanist philosophers who essentially were talking about eco psychology. So there's actually you can actually trace the history, thanks to my partner Jamie. Uh, and there's a long tradition of it it's just you know it's just been in the margins of psychology because it, it it's pretty radical in its conceptualization of the mind you know it doesn't position the mind inside the skull you know it, it's our mind is connected to other species more than human others you know and 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 uh and, uh, and if you know our our self, our, our, you know so, you know our the re- resolving eco anxiety uh, you know rests in relation to the anxiety of other creatures you know uh, they were all in it together you know <laughs> and so that's that's why it's such a fascinating area to think about psychology because the, the mind you know it becomes linked to other species and uh, and and to their to their their future is tied in with uh, with ours um, so it really d de- Anthropo it takes the person out of the center of the conceptualization of distress and puts us all in an equal circle with other species. And that's so fascinating because it's not what how we think as psychologists. You know? no.
0: Can you think of another point in history where young people might have asked something specifically of psychology like this, you know, or of the mental health profession? Um
1: uh, yes. I mean, I think our, our, gen, our, affir- our affirmative approach to gender is probably driven by young people. I mean, I, I think that I don't know if, I mean, you know, youth-based participatory reaction research is very common outside of psychology. It is common in health. It's not so common as a methodology in clinical psychology, or it's not present at all, I would say. But it's a very common method for doing research outside of our little bubble Uh, you know, of randomized trials, you know, like, it's quite common. Um, But yeah, I don't think I think we've just been dictated by these three waves of of, of cognitive therapy, you know, as being everything that psychology should be. But actually, it's just, it's not, there's a lot more going on in the margins. And my view is that the margins over time, I mean, even now, look at Pakistan, look at Canada, look at Florida, you know, terrible weather, you know, I think it's time now that climate Distress and eco psychology come into the mainstream because it's. I mean, it's, it's. Uh, you know, it's not like it's like a, a decade from now it's going to be needed. So, yeah, it's very interesting to be a clinical psychologist in this area, and the interdisciplinary nature of the research is so wonderful and uh, transformative. Uh, to talk with historians, and in Sydney Environment Institute, we talk with people at the con who are writing music, you know, who, with artists, with philosophers. With, you know, in, we're working in the humanities. Um, which is, you know, so so joyful, you know, to uh, to learn about what's happening in the humanities for a change. <laughs> yeah.
0: You mentioned before that the young people intuit that uh, denialism or despair are not the answer. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder what is there a kind of a picture of climate anxiety as a more clinical presentation that's emerging through the research
1: um we reject it <laughs> we we don't want to go there we don't want the dsm to get his hands filthy hands on it <laughs> um it would destroy it that that would be then it will become a part of the psychology industry it'll be apps for it before you know it before you know it we, we will resist that with everything that we have you know that's not it doesn't belong to psychology the climate anxiety doesn't um uh you know it, if it was in the d s m I' would just i really would despair then <laughs> you know it doesn't it this is not uh an individual pathology you know it, it doesn't it interacts with people who are predisposed to anxiety i think that, i think that's a fascinating area, not one that we're looking at but we, we probably will need to in the research at some point where where a formulation for someone with anxiety you know is interacting with uh, world events and 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 with with more collective forms of anxiety, it probably um, you know, is going to be essential. You know, um, but uh, yeah, no, I mean, it, you know, Donna Haraway is one of the contemporary f- stars of a feminist approach to climate and philosophy, and she her book is called "Staying with the Trouble," and and it, it's an interesting concept, and it's similar to things in to you know to ideas in dbt and other ideas but essentially denialism and apocalyptic thinking are both um unhelpful we need to stay in the middle no matter what happens we need to stay with the trouble and keep feeling it and keep processing and keep acting and that staying with the trouble and remaining embodied and remaining in touch with the natural world as we feel and act is to me the the and and to do it collectively, that's why we're not coming up with a, a therapy room model. We're coming up with a community based approach, uh, rather than a you know here's a here's a manual for alleviation. We we want to have a more of a social movement than a clinical industry um, you know product. If you, if you like, um,
0: can you spell that out for me a little bit more? Why we wouldn't want a you know a clinical industry product, or why we wouldn't want to pathologize climate anxiety?
1: Um, because, it, because it, um, it, 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 well, one is because it would then become industrialized and commercialized, which, which would be a travesty. It would be then everything would be greenwashed all around psychology. You know, it would be, it would be a perfect tool to greenwash the field. You know, <laughs> which we're not perfect, not wanting to do. You can see that happening. You know, um, but also because we want it to be a, we want we, we want it to be run by led by young people you know we don't want it to be part of uh of um uh, you know of um of better access or whatever you know we we want it to be a social movement and to to be part of like like activism is you know it is a, you know so i i don't know i i just think that um the psychology industry doesn't really have the answers for lots of these problems and never will uh you know i mean um it's not where change and uh justice oriented work happens you know very often um, so yeah although i do we are willing to work with relationships australia because they are a place that has a long tradition of doing justice oriented work you know and um, and doing community work you know so um yeah i mean that's that's the position that we're coming to anyway at the moment yeah i mean it might be that but maybe it's for others to to do that work, and it, it probably they probably will, and it probably help. It's just that my networks and people I know are in these other organisations as well, so it potentially a personal bias. You know. Well, obviously.
0: <laughs> so it was though the the young people approached because if I might not understand this correctly, but they approached because their experience in their own engagement with therapy was that those people weren't asking about it weren't talking about yeah, it. yeah yeah
1: jordan is jordan is the the person who basically came up with the whole idea and he's a young person on the youth advisory committee you know and they advise headspace um so yeah he that's what he noticed and he was hearing within the committee that that um that young people were experience experiencing climate anxiety but they didn't but the clinicians w- well didn't ask about it and didn't know what to say you know when somebody presents with it, what do you say? I mean, it's a very, I understand, it's a very hard thing to figure out, you know, and that's the name of our whole research. I have to say, having Jamie on board is, uh, is very important because he understands and has written about that long history, you know, of, uh, of eco-psychology. It's a fascinating history, you know. Uh, and, as you know, it's, it's actually... Um, goes back to the 70s and the civil rights, you know, and, and you know, it, it, that's where it originated, you know, um, that kind of period of uh, more, more, more uh, liberative uh, thinking within psychology.
0: What do you uh, think? Th- I mean, most of our listeners will be people working clinically. So if they mm-hmm. hear that message and maybe reflecting on their own practice... Mm-hmm. Is there anything emerging from the research so far about how those conversations could go in therapy? You know, what should we be asking our young clients or older clients?
1: Yeah, very important to ask that. I mean, I actually think we need to do a systematic review, you know, uh, to answer, you know, because I think there's quite a lot going on at the moment. So that's that's a, something that we, we need to do and will do at once if we're successful with our grants it's, you know because i can't speak to it you know it's yeah. very disparate all the research it needs needs to come together from what i've understood so far i mean um uh from from young people is well number one is there needs to just be a space to talk about it, it that, that's been a very healing process for all of us in the research that uh old people and young people sitting together and just talking about it has been a a really important thing and and that's the the difficulty for psychology is going to be that for once (laughs) not for once it's always been the case but the psychologist and the young person are experiencing the same thing you know it's not like the psychologist is the expert and the young person is suffering climate distress like it's a different phenomena for a psychologist to deal with I remember when COVID happened, and it, for the first time ever in my career, uh, one of my young clients asked me how I was. You know, um, and and this is with the different the difficulty that the power structure of expert psychologist and vulnerable clients is is is, is um, disrupted by climate anxiety, and so this is why I think it's another challenge. You know, because it's we have to when a young person we have to get in touch with our own climate anxiety i mean i believe that's the same for 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 any lived experience i think psychologists all have lived experience and we are meeting having an encounter with young with people across that divide one lived experience to another but this is a particularly pointed one you know where the paradigm is different to what we're used to you know i think that that's why psychologists would struggle with it because it it's a collective thing that we're all part of. So I don't see this expert driven model as being useful. You know, I I think it needs to be a a flat hierarchy, if you like, you know, proper polyphonic dialogue, not, not this monological kind of dialogue that happens, you know, can happen in therapy. So yeah, that, that's my, that's the, the place that we're heading, but I just off the top of my head, from my conversations, if you're asking what should a psychologist know is one is Take some time to listen and make sure that it, it, that you're listening to your own anxiety as well, and that you join together in dialogue as two people experiencing anxiety across the generations. Because there's a generational elephant in the room that needs to be recognised. Uh, two is, um, you know, in, in, blend it into your formulation and and, and check that the, what's the relationship between a person's predisposition to anxiety or depression or and 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 the climate issues and the triggers, perhaps like that might happen Black like summer for example would have been a big trigger the, the the reports that come out are a trigger you know and they can be formulated you know in a similar way but with an understanding that the life event that is is it's a, is a, is, you know it's so much bigger than you know other ones you know um so i think you know you, you want to help somebody avoid catastrophizing in cognitive terms you know that we've talked that's apocalyptic thinking you know or denial you know and, and is also part of cognitive work you know you know so you can apply a cognitive approach to it and everything I said about Donna Haraway and staying with the trouble is essentially about regulation of emotion I mean you know the, the principles apply quite beautifully if you think about it you you could develop a cognitive approach to climate anxiety it's just that I'm a family therapist so I'm heading in that direction but but I think it, it could easily be done but it would the day, the other paradigm difference is that psychologists in the therapy room tend to avoid politics you know we don't politicize our therapy but you can't avoid it here you know because the minute you deal with climate anxiety and you start um staying with the trouble and moving someone from dread to action you, you you know you 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 butt your butt, butt your head up against activism <laughs> and so what's a psychologist going to do promote activism you know i believe they should but you know, we sit on the fence politically or we're trained to sit on the fence. So there's another paradigm issue that's problematic for psychologists, not just the collective nature of distress, but also the the need for the consciousness raising and the politicization of of, of affect in in, in the therapy room. So I think there's those... And then there's the intergenerational wound that's happened. Those three things make uh, make, um, dealing with climate anxiety a different kettle of fish, you know... um, the collective emotion, the politicisation, and the intergenerational wound are, are three things that we're not used to dealing with. So psychologists have to be quite open-minded at a paradigm level to respond. But you could still then apply cognitive strategies because that they they work they would work quite well. And I think there's, there is room for someone to do research in that area. It, we're doing it on open dialogue because that's my clinical model. You know? But but um, yeah, I think it would be a very interesting if if that was to be picked up
0: it sounds like the staying with the trouble approach it requires of us to be aware of our own feelings our own anxiety and to be able to manage that and i think that then involves being honest with ourselves and i i wondered if during this podcast um the three of us who will be involved could be a little honest about our own climate anxiety as well as How's it been for you, Paul?
1: Um, I I was not on my radar until I bought a house in the Blue Mountains and moved to live there. And I I moved there a month before the fires, before the Black Summer. And it was a shock, you know, because I knew about... I had climate anxiety, but it was all vicarious, you know. It wasn't immediate. And then it became immediate as the fires were, you know, two kilometres from my house. And that, that not sleeping, living on edge, looking constantly at the apps, fire apps... Uh, realizing it was more than a fire and it was a, it was climate related, um, right. Ra- you know, radicalized me, you know, and, but it was very, it, it was a, a different type of emotion. You know, it's the same kind of feeling when COVID happened and you thought kind of is the world ending, you know, that, you know, that, that kind of existential um, emotion where you, you, which when Trump became president, you know, and, and I also felt that and, and when the, 9/11 happened. I felt it. You know, there's this kind of um, affect, not emotion. And in, in the in the in the literature on emotion, in in the philosophical literature on emotion, they differentiate between emotion and affect. Emotion happens inside you, and affect is something that comes from outside. And you know, and these kind of pivotal moments in my life, you know, from 9/11 to now, to climate and COVID, there this has been this experience of affect, not like, not of, not of emotion that comes from you know, mum and dad and all that, you know, you know, it's not about mummy and daddy, you know, it's about uh, all of us, you know. So it, it's been harrowing. I mean, there's harrowing, yeah, harrowing um, at times, you know, frightening. And and, um, uh, and sometimes I don't want to know about it and I just can't watch the news. Like I just find it too exhausting. And especially thinking and doing it in my research day, you know, every week, I, I just have to have a break. So, yeah, um, but, you know, in the end, I've become an activist, right? You know, I mean, who would have thought, like, silly old me, you know, (laughs) like, I would never have thought it, you know, (laughs) like, uh, so, yeah, I mean, it has been quite a long journey. How about you?
0: I, uh, I think it's been in the background, but I will have to admit that having young children and thinking about it is so terrifying that I've, blinkered myself to it um, quite willingly, maybe willingly. I know a, a colleague joined Extinction Rebellion mm. and was talking about it at work and I said to her, "I, you know, I, I want to know what I can do, but I can't sit in that terror all the time about, you know, the world being uninhabitable in the space of my children's lifetime. Uh, that's too much. Yeah. And I have been reflecting in the lead up to this podcast and thinking, well, that, you know, my own terror about it, of course, is going to make me, reluctant to delve into it frequently with clients um yeah. but that's, i that's yeah very interesting. Mm. but i know and i'm sure i'm not alone in that i'm sure people's being parents is part of the anxiety um mm. that gets in the way but like yeah. you're saying cog you know taking action uh the action that we can is often the you know when we think about it through a A cognitive behavioral model almost you know that's that's what we can do to manage the anxiety so that's yeah that's what I've been trying to do for myself as well
1: yeah I was reading a report from Europe saying 44 percent of young people deciding not to have children yeah yeah if you if you look at it objectively it's it's awful you know yeah, and the really awful thing, you look at Pakistan and look at the places of the poverty, where there's poverty, and you know, we're we're still shielded from it, you know. You know, even in Black Summer, you know, I could still turn the air conditioner on, you know, I could still you know, I could still escape, you know, to a friend's house. Like it's still, you know, uh, you know, go to a restaurant, you know, you know, you know it's so it's the the distra you know, it's so um um we still have a socioeconomic kind of strata when it comes to to, to the effects, you know. Uh, it's still a, a privileges, um, you know, what kind of mediates the anxiety, you know. Yeah. Very difficult.
0: It is. So it's really, you know, when we get in touch with our anxiety about this and our um, sadness and worry for the future, not even just of our own immediate family but of people everywhere. And like you say, more likely there's the disadvantaged people of our world are going to be more affected. You know, it feels really heavy. And I can imagine, you know, if I put myself in the shoes of a young person trying to grapple with that, um, at that formative time of their life, when they're looking to the future, what, what's my future going to hold? What kind of a person I'm going, am I going to be, Mm. um, that it must just be so much more, um, heavy to carry, for the, those young people.
1: Yes, I mean, and if you think, you know, someone goes through a period of depression or grief around thinking, facing the reality of these things, and that's not a clinical problem. That's actually, not, that's actually normative, you know? Like, I mean, I think if you, if you do actually, you know, the journey to becoming an activist is a journey of facing the things that we can't face and, what like you say, facing the terror, facing the reality of it all. Um, you know, it's it's harrowing. It's a harrowing journey. So you have to, you know, admire those people. I, I have um, one of my students did some research, interviewing activists about their journey from uh, their place based journey to activism. In other and in other words, um, we did their biography, but the biography is a bio biography. In other words, we looked at their relationship with place from when they first started to think about climate to becoming activists and and how their emotion was deeply linked to place and um it was very interesting that um they they eventually they went on that journey from terror to realization to acceptance to you know action but some of them um went into unsustainable action you know and burnout and so and the way that they the position that they seemed to come to in those stories was that. Um, it had to be sustain if you want to fight for sustainability you have to be sustainable yourself and one of the ways to do that is to engage with the very nature you're trying to save you know so to 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 be replenished by community and by the natural world and so that's what you know staying with the trouble means it doesn't mean uh you know sacrificing everything it means, you know, doing it in a sustainable way way, you're deeply connected to other people and to to nature. Which I found a very I think is, you know, must must will end up being a part of of the you know of what of the outcomes of the research that, you know, overcoming climate anxiety isn't about becoming a born again, unsustainable, self sacrificing activist. You know, it's it's about deeply engaging with the natural world and doing something about it. And my position is finding out what your gifts are and whatever you've got, using them for this purpose, you know, and that's what I've been doing. I basically feel, what have I got I can use, you know? Uh, It's not all about getting a placard and protesting. It's about thinking about your own gifts and abilities and and putting them to work in in, in a way that's sustainable.
0: I think that's a great insight that we can take into our clinical work, Mm. Um, but particularly with young people who can be black and white, (laughs) Um, to think about that sustainability of your action and it doesn't have to be complete Um, self-sacrifice. Because,
1: I mean, one of the young people in the group, I can't remember who it was, said to me, don't worry, Paul, (laughs) there's lots of people doing this. You don't have to do it all yourself. There's lots of people doing this. You know, just do your bit, you know. She was reaching out to me, you know, and when I was feeling distressed, you know, saying... We're a big group, you know, like um, I think it's very important, you know, to respond to climate anxiety by realising that there's a, there's a massive community of people all acting together and there is hope. You know, there has to be hope. Like hope has to be the, the part of the solution to their distress and terror that together if we do something we can make change, you know. And um, we have to believe that, even sometimes pathologically pathological optimism in the face of climate anxiety is a useful place to go. You know. and that's where I go. go. <laughs> yeah.
0: Now we'd like to welcome for the second part of this podcast, um, a very special guest, Maya, who is joining us from New South Wales. Maya is a young person who's involved in the project, and we're really lucky to have her here today on Clinically Thinking to share her thoughts with us. So welcome, Maya.
2: Hi, Nina. Thank you for having me here.
0: It's our pleasure. Um, Okay. So I wanted to ask you how you got involved in the project along with Paul Rhodes.
2: Yeah, of course. Um, so it really started with an email that I received from the sort of organizer of my local Hag group or Headspace Youth Advisory Reference Group. So I'm involved in um yes, yeah, so HAG with my uh in my local area and I'm also involved with uh, School Strike for Climate, also in my local area. And so when I got um, an email from my, uh, the organiser of my hug group um, discussing, the, um, discussing the initiation of a new group about all about climate anxiety, I thought immediately I was like, oh, this is perfect. This is exactly both of my two interests, both of the two things that I'm really passionate about, all merged into one. And so one sort of Google form later, Um, I got an email from the organiser of uh, the youth advisory group. Um, So Jordan, I think Paul has already mentioned him. Um, And then we just sort of started setting up meetings and just talking about all these amazing things. And it's just been a really amazing space to think about what climate anxiety is and to make progress into actually finding um, solutions and initiatives Uh, that clinicians can use to help young people.
0: Excellent. It sounds really exciting. Um, And thank you for your energy and effort that you've put into this area um, on behalf of your peers and all of us. What have been the most difficult and rewarding parts of the project so far for you?
2: Yeah, so... Um, I think really the most difficult part is the most rewarding part. Um, and I think that's actually uh, true in basically any scenario, um, anything that you that is really difficult, but you put in the effort and it, and it works out in the end is always going to be the most rewarding part. And for me in this project, it's been um, working through these feelings of climate anxiety that are um that are really universal to everyone in the project, but like on different levels Um, and being able to connect with all these different people from, from very diverse backgrounds. Um, And as one of the youngest people on the project, it's been really interesting to engage with, um, with people who are uh, clinicians, with people who are historians. Yeah. It's, it's been so fascinating. Um, And I think the initial um most difficult part was breaking the ice um one of the really interesting parts about this project is uh using this method um of just like this um talking flow um and it's just a free space uh to talk and getting past the silence uh, was a very very big part of the project um sometimes in the first few meetings we just sort of lapse into silence and uh not really be able to find a way to get out of and of course that's it's going to be typical when talking about um such complex issues um and complex feelings that and climate anxiety really is all about and uh using this this method um of speaking um we sort of I, I know I discovered um, that silence is, is actually okay, and um, it's just a time to it's just a time to think and reflect, um, and maybe change up the direction. And I think learning that part was the most difficult part for me, um, but simultaneously the most rewarding part. And being able to fill these silences with new conversation directions. Um, with discussion of um, from a wide variety of perspectives in the group and recently uh, we've also been bringing in um, academics and scholars to discuss their interview uh, their opinions um, on wow. climate anxiety and uh, their experiences with it and um, it's been it's been really interesting um, inviting these scholars into the group and um, getting them used to this way of thinking and uh, and the silences that can occur during it. And that's, yeah, that has been probably the most difficult part, but of course the most rewarding part for me.
0: I, I can only imagine as a young person that meeting with lots of these adults um, can seem intimidating. Um, and, yeah, I can imagine kind of sitting there in silence and thinking what's going to happen next would be pretty confronting at times but I hope through this process um what might be coming across is that it doesn't matter how much education we've got we don't always kind of know what we're doing or um how we're feeling about things um we don't always know what to say either
2: yeah um absolutely it's uh yeah just meeting all these adults all these um very very accomplished people it um, in the first meeting and in the first meetings with the academics it was it was very confronting and i was I, I won't lie. I was a little bit scared, but it yeah it's been very rewarding and um exactly what you say, Nina, I think regardless of our backgrounds, regardless of our education, regardless of our age, um, regardless of who we are um it's our perspective is what matters it's what matters is what we bring in um to the conversation. And it's, it's so, so, so vital that we bring in these perspectives from very, very diverse backgrounds, um, from people, from, from older people, from younger people, um, from men and women, from people who are gender diverse, um, regardless of our skin colour, regardless of our sexual orientation. It's so important that we bring in all these different perspectives because everyone is going to ultimately experience um, different situations differently, and with climate anxiety such such a universal experience in this current climate, it's it's so important that we bring in all these perspectives and point of views to discuss how everyone is individually affected. Because again, ultimately, the way that climate anxiety appears and manifests for different people is going to be different, and and over a blanket solution. Is not possible, but discussion in a meaningful way and solutions that arise from this discussion and this thought process is what is going to be very, very beneficial. And sort of um, devising a solution uh, that incorporates those kinds of methods, I think, is what we're ultimately working towards in this group.
0: Hmm. What's your experience of climate anxiety been?
2: Um, yeah, so for me, I think uh, where I live last year in October there was um, there was just this humongous supercell storm, and basically um, there was hailstorm hailstones everywhere, um, and this all happened within uh, maybe an hour or two, and. I remember looking out the window because we I was still at school uh, we were all still at school um in fact, we were doing our, we were taking our English exam and I remember looking out the window and it was the it was just white the oval was white, it looked like it had snowed and um there was there was fog everywhere um the rain the hail beating down on the roof was. It was so loud. It's it's indescribable, and I just remember thinking, "Is this going to be? Is this what life is going to be like now? Is this is this like an annual thing? Because the last the last hailstorm that um, my area had gone through had been maybe maybe five or so years ago, and then and it's just hailstorms have been have been becoming much more regular." Um, a smaller one occurred, uh, in July this year. Um, and I just, yeah, I just was hit last year by this sort of sense of this is what life is going to be like. And I, yeah, I was just, it was, yeah, it was very, <laughs> it was an indescribable. Um, but I think that was when I sort of realized, um, that yes, climate change is happening. Like I had known the facts, I had known, um, experts, you know, talking about climate change and, you know, this is a thing, this is happening. But in that moment, that was when it really, really hit for me. But at the same time, I also realized that this, I am, I'm living in an area in which we have the means to bounce back from this hailstorm in which we have the means to, um, to rebuild, to rebuild all the shattered windows and all the broken roof tiles. But other areas do not have this ability and areas that are um, remote areas in Australia, um, developing countries, places where the technology to bounce back from climate change is not available. These are the areas in which we need to focus more of our efforts. And in which, of course, climate anxiety is going to be a bigger issue because these hailstorms, these bushfires, these droughts, these floods, they're happening on a magnified scale and without the resources to come back from that. And the young people, the the older people, climate anxiety is becoming a much, much more real issue. And whichever way we look from it, whether it's from a view whether it's from a clinical view, whether it's from a personal view, it's there and it's happening and it's something that we need to address.
0: Um, Paul mentioned that the, well, slightly older young person, Jordan, who kind of initiated this, um, had heard reports of people kind of in a therapeutics setting just feeling like it wasn't a subject that um, would come up um, that people were comfortable talking about. Had you had any of that experience personally?
2: I think for me, it was um, struggling to find words um, to put to this feeling that I had. This sort of overwhelming sense of I might I might not be able to see the Great Barrier Reef in ten years, and being introduced to this group um, and being introduced to the words of climate anxiety was sort of um, what gave me like that. I'm not alone in this situation, but I think importantly, um, the real reason that people um, are struggling to find like uh, solutions and clinicians are um, struggling to find um, methods addressing this and young people are struggling to feel uh, like they are making progress in this and um, feeling um, invalidated is because of the biases and um, uh, yeah the biases around climate change. Um, I know it is of course a very um, a very political topic and <laughs> um, very um, divided issues and opinions around it. And because of all these different um, all these different perspectives surrounding climate change it's very very difficult for young people suffering from climate anxiety um to feel validated because um they might they might be told in their experience that what they're feeling isn't isn't valid isn't real um and what I think is the most important thing to take out of um, this youth group is that we just need to be more accepting and encouraging of all the views and perspectives that young people are facing with climate anxiety being one of them and need to be more accepting and encouraging um, because that's going to help people to feel validated and that's going to put the words to the, the crazy emotional, um, the crazy emotions that they are going through. Um, and that's, yeah, that's sort of very important. <laughs>
0: Thank you. Um, so for you, uh, coming into this group, having these words, climate anxiety, it was that was really, um, that was therapeutic for you because it was a way to talk about what you'd been experiencing and know that you're not alone in it. What else would you say helps you to cope with climate anxiety?
2: Um, so I am a member, I think I've already mentioned, but I am a member of the local schools Jack for Climate group in my area. And for me... Um I think action is a very, very important part of how I sort of cope with these feelings. Um, so it's, it's a way of just being like, I'm here, my voice is here, my perspective is here, and something needs to be done about this. And um, throughout our discussions in the youth group, um, action has come up quite a few times. Um, activism, not only just through the typical means of um like yelling and protesting um but also activism through art therapy um activism through talking um there are so there's so many ways of putting action into these feelings um that that it's just it's a very universal sort of method and while i might benefit from um, action of protesting and Uh, saying, um, you know, climate justice is something very, very important to me. Um, Other people might benefit from actions, uh, from uh, the activism of art therapy and from expressing their emotions surrounding climate anxiety um, through the medium of art and paint and drawing. And I think that sort of showcases the variety of perspectives and variety of point of views that... Uh, And methods will need to cater to in regards to um, uh, climate anxiety that there is a sort of cultural kind of idea of what activism is and there are of course positive and negative opinions surrounding it but when treating climate anxiety there needs to be this sort of support and encouragement and promotion that this this is something that is completely fine to do because you know you're fighting not only for, you know, climate justice, but also for um, yourself. You're fighting for, you know, a benefit in uh, your climate anxiety.
0: Um, May, what strikes me as a person older than you um, is that, you know, I carry uh, a fair bit of guilt about the way you know my generation have lived our lives and that it's it's left the world in the state um that it is and you know I can appreciate we didn't know as much as we do now but um just speaking for myself I can imagine that um I would could anticipate you know as a clinician if I were to talk to my young clients about this I could anticipate there might be some you know anger or frustration um directed at my generation and i would find that completely understandable but what i'm what i'm hearing from you is a real openness to everybody's perspective uh, a real focus on including um it, people from diverse age ranges diverse backgrounds uh including all perspectives of being really open to those um that's what stood out to me
2: yeah i think um just sort of emphasizing the um, diversity of not only the perspectives, but also the emotions that arise um, when dealing with climate anxiety. Because yes, like you said, I think guilt is also one of the things that can um, uh, sort of arise from climate anxiety It's feelings, feelings of guilt, feelings of anger, um, hopelessness, there's just, yeah, there's just been so much um, discussion about all the different sort of ideas um, and emotions that are sort of symptomatic of climate anxiety. But like I said, it's the diversity of people. We, we just need to include, we just need to be inclusive of all these, different, all these different emotions, all the different backgrounds from people because, I mean, as a young person, um, I know that, a lot of people of my generation will probably feel a little resentful of um the uh the kinds of things that we sort of have to do now, but um it's sort of being inclusive of because it's climate anxiety is not just a thing for young people it's also um it's also you know an issue for uh people of an older generation um it's it's truly universal yet ultimately individualised because your background, your perspective, that's what's going to shape your experience with climate anxiety and being able to validate and just, yeah, and just show a compassion for these different points of view, um, even if they differ from your own, because ultimately what is the most important thing is just, just being appreciative, just being welcoming, just being validating because as with any, um, as with anything, as with any, any anxiety, any depression, um, people with climate anxiety are going to feel, it's feeling, it's being, feeling alone. And what needs, what needs to happen is a cultural sort of shift in order to include these people and help them feel that their feelings are validated and help and give them, the words to these feelings put words to these feelings um and put actions to these words it's sort of it's a sort of it's sort of a flow chart of things of um feelings words actions because that is is sort of sort of an overall kind of schematic for anybody regardless of their background but each of these sort of steps in the process is going to be individualised, is going to be based on perspective. And like I've, like I've repeated quite a lot, it's, it's just compassion that people need in order to help somebody with climate anxiety, in order to help yourself with climate anxiety. Need to feel compassion for others, compassion for yourself. It's, it's all about compassion and empathy.
0: Very wise words, Maya, and I'm sure all of our audience um, are going to be uh, super humbled by your all of your words today um, and really grateful for the, the time and energy that you've put into this little interview, but also everything that you're doing to support, like I said, before your peers, um, but everybody with their climate anxiety and and with your action on climate change itself. So I want to express the sincerest gratitude that you've joined us today and shared with us. Um, thank you.
2: Thank you so much for inviting me to this podcast. It, it's been a real honour and I've just really loved um, talking about something that I'm really, really passionate about with you. It's, it's been It's been really amazing. Thank you so much.
0: So there we have it, quite a different episode for clinically thinking, but a great reminder of our common humanity in the face of climate change, and an in-depth look at one group of researchers attempt to find the answer to the anxiety we experience when we connect with the reality faced by all the inhabitants of our home, the earth. For those of us in clinical practice, we hope this has encouraged you to wonder with your clients about their experience of climate anxiety while making space for everyone's unique position, including your own. Thanks for listening.